Coming to you from beautiful Santa Barbara, California. Promoting peace, healthy living, and happiness. It's the Peace Podcast with host Barbara Gon Mueller. just a delight to welcome you to peacepodcast.org. I'm Barbara Gon Mueller, and peace is, I was just telling our guests that peace is my middle name. When I was three, my grandfather said I was going to be a peacemaker, and here I am at another older age, still working for peace. Peace Podcast is about peace, healthy living, and happiness. And today you're going to find out more about peace than you ever thought possible. We're going to have the metrics to tell you, is peace working? Let me introduce Dr. Steve Kilalea, our guest today. Welcome, Steve. Great. It's very good to be here, Barbara. Thank you so much. Dr. Steve Kilalea is the CEO of the Institute of Economics and Peace, a global philanthropist focused on peace and the sustainable development with a long successful career in high technology and international business development. More than 20 years ago, he established the Charitable Foundation, now one of the largest private overseas aid organizations in Australia that provides life-changing programs to some of the poorest communities in our world. He's the founder of the independent think tank, the Institute of Economics and Peace, IEP. You probably have heard about that because he is known around the world as a global peace index, that GPI, the world's leading measurement of global peacefulness. Isn't that a wonderful thing to have, an IEP? Now, here we go. When you think about it, the world's leading measures of global peacefulness is highly impactful because the nonprofit and the nonpartisan research institute that he is a part of and actually the founder of really finds out the relationship between business, peace, and the economic development used by many international organizations, including one of my favorite, the United Nations, which is now celebrating today the 76th anniversary of the United Nations. Welcome, Dr. Steve Kilalea. What a background you have brought to us today. Thanks, Well, Very good to be here. Well, it's our pleasure. As I was telling you, you're my 81st podcast, and I am delighted. You know, in your book, and I must tell everybody the name of your book is Peace in the Age of Chaos. What a title. And you were telling me you wrote this book prior to the pandemic? Yes, I did, actually. Well, it took was three years in the making. These things don't come quickly. I'm, and it took a lot of times, but we put the title down because we're really looking at sort of the bigger ecological threats on the planet. And then when COVID hit, I just thought the title of the book was perfect. It certainly is. And I'm going to start with a question that I really want people to understand, that you wanted to be a surfer or a social worker and eventually became one of Australia's leading IT entrepreneurs. So how does a businessman such as yourself become a leading peacemaker committing to getting the world to rethink peace? Well, for me, life's a journey. It's always sort of happened to me rather than it's been a, a planned out in any uh, logical, meticulous way. And so my background's in business, as you mentioned, Barbara. I've set up two international IT companies. One became publicly listed on NASDAQ and the other on the Australian Stock Exchange. So I made quite a bit of money out of that. So I set up a family foundation 
which was aimed at working with the poorest of the poor. And so it uh, took me into a lot of war zones, near post war zones, and it's a reasonable sized charity. We've done over 220 projects, direct beneficiaries, about 3.6 million people. As I said, working with the poorest of the poor takes you into a lot of war zones, near post war zones. And I was actually in northeast Kabu in the Congo, walking through there, and thought, well, what are the most peaceful nations in the world? Got back to Sydney, searched the internet, and couldn't find anything. I thought, wow. That's a really important thing to know. And so that then took me on the journey to develop the Global Peace Index. But a very profound question comes out of that because if a simple businessman like myself can be walking through Africa and wonder what are the most peaceful nations in the world and it hasn't been done, then how much do we actually know about peace? If you can't measure something, can you truly understand it? If you can't measure it, how do you even know whether your actions are helping you or hindering you in achieving your goals? You simply don't. So again, it was just an accident which got me here. One question, it was a fantasy question. I didn't really think it would go anywhere, but it turned out to be profound. And I guess the other thing I realised as I got into it, when we think we're studying peace, we're not actually, we're generally studying violence. And so you look out through most peace and conflict centers around the world, 90% of what they teach is violence. It's all about trying to stop violence, but creating peace and stopping violence are actually quite different pursuits. So if you think the best way of doing it is with an analogy. So you go back to the fifties, great breakthroughs with pathology. None of us are gonna die of a heart attack young or even curing cancers, really important. But to stay healthy, well, and vigorous, we didn't not, we can't learn that without studying healthy people. So it's right diet, right mental disposition, regular exercise. You're going to learn none of that through studying someone on their deathbed. And so the analogy with peace and conflict is the same. That's what the question I was going to ask you, and you just answered it. Why measure peace? And you've done it. Why measure peace? You want to give us a, a nutshell? kind of a, a capsule view of why measure peace? Well, sure, measuring peace, get with, if you can't measure something, like as I said, I don't think you really understand it. Uh, and it's how then simply you don't know whether your actions actually helping you or hindering you in achieving your results. But there are many different types of peace. So there's inner peace, and you can describe that as the, act, the absence of afflictive emotion. There's a, 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 a when, when the guns fall silent, the end of a war, that's peace. And you'll find the political leaders regularly refer to that as peace. Uh, there are other forms of peace, like for the Global Peace Index, we use the absence of violence or fear of violence as the definition. That's called negative peace. Mm -hmm. Now, there's another form of peace called positive peace, which is the one we're putting a lot of energy into these days, which is the attitude, institutions and structures which create and sustain peaceful society. So the measurements are really important because each of these different flavors of peace are incredibly important as well. So just having one definition of peace doesn't really work. It's too generalized. That's what I was going to ask you next. It's really hard to have one definition of peace. I've always said, and I've interviewed not only these 80 people on this peace podcast, but for the 2016 World Peace Conference, I interviewed 75 of the speakers that were going to be presenting. And they kept coming up with the same motto, 
peace is an internal process. Once you have it, you keep it. And then it begins with you and starts with a conversation. If you're not an example of how peace begins with you, Dr. Kilea Lea, I cannot imagine anybody more qualified. But you defined how peace and research go hand in hand. And I think you're right when you said most people measure violence or the absence of violence rather than the word peace. Why is peace so hard to define? Well, I think a lot of the time we could, violence is what we get attracted to because we, we see it as something abhorrent and then we want to stop it. And that, then that's our definition of peace is when the violence stops. Uh, but the sort of, we, we like those more robust definitions. So, so the positive piece for us is the attitudes, institutions, and structures which create and sustain peaceful societies. And that creates a society which is resilient. When a society is resilient, then it doesn't actually fall into a major conflict. And you get minor conflicts through society, but conflict's not necessarily a bad thing if it's done in a constructive manner, because Let's face it, we all have got different thoughts and different ideas, and it's the ability to be able to robustly discuss these ideas. And even if you look in a business environment, sort of competition in some ways is a conflict, if you like, but through a competitive environment, you just society does improve. The best things come to the surface and end up as our great inventions. So it all comes back to sort of where you're, where you're coming from but one of the things I'd say, like peace is both bottom down and top up. Sorry, yeah, sorry, bottom up and top down. So if you think about it, so society sets the structures within a society. This can allow, and this is where you come back to positive peace, this can create an environment where human potential can flourish. And so let's face it, if you're living in the middle of a war zone, very, very hard to focus on your internal peace and your self-development. Uh, or you're living in, uh, in uh, abject poverty. But on the other hand, it's like society itself is influenced by the collection of the individuals. And so that group consciousness of the individuals come back in many ways, shapes our society. So individuals change and become more peaceful through self-reflection, uh, prayer, meditation, other, uh, other techniques. Then that creates a groundswell more peaceful society as well. So it's bottom up and top down. You sure have a, a, a opinion that counts. My late husband, Dr. Robert Mueller, was in Alsace-Lorraine and in the war-torn area where the Germans were shooting the French and the French were shooting the Germans. And when he was three years old, he said, I'm going to work for peace. And he told his dad that. And his dad said, I pity you, young man. There's no such thing as a peacemaker. And Robert said, I don't care. I cannot stand war. And he was in the middle and they had to, as a little boy, they dressed him up in their finest clothes and they made him dance to the soldiers and go down the parade route. And he said, I will never do that because cousins were shooting cousins and his grandfather changed nationalities five times without leaving his home. So here we are, we have the possibility of having world peace. And what I love about something you did, you also put a price tag on what violence costs. Just think if we cut up that, Violence to zip. Well, how much money we'd have to make this world a more peaceful and more human place to live, right? Exactly. So, so we 
got 16 different dimensions which we calculate the cost on for the cost of violence to the uh, yeah, yeah, global economy, or, or alternately, depending on how you want to look at it, the economic value of peace. And so in 2020, that came to $15 trillion. Now, that's a conservative figure, okay? It's probably much more. So that's about 13.4% of global GDP, just to put it into perspective. Now, none of us can imagine a world which is basically peaceful, but all of us can, within our imagination, quite comfortably grasp a world which is 10% more peaceful. So that'd be about 1.5 trillion dollars. Now, just to give you an idea of how much that is, it's like adding three new economies to the world, which are the size of Ireland, Switzerland, and Denmark. This is really substantial amounts of money. To put it into more perspective, we look at all the ODAs in the world, all the money spent from overseas developmental aid in 2020, that's about 1% of the economic value of peace or the cost of violence to the global economy. Wow, you know, I don't think I realized the cost of violence was in the trillions, but I should have, because if you add it up, we have 192 countries that are part of the United Nations, and each of them have nuclear weapons. There are some countries that have nuclear weapons, and they're not cheap. What is the reason we never get to the point of changing our priorities? What's causing this priority lack? Well, that's a very, very difficult question. I haven't got to clear answers to that. Part of it's leadership. So like there's a lot of leaders are more interested in the narrow uh, nationalistic advantages and sort of like view politics in win-lose uh, uh, perceptions. So that's one, one of the things. I think there's also faulty decision-making along the way. So if you look at Afghanistan, for example, so the rationale for going into Afghanistan may have been right. So yeah, yeah, and after 9-11, I think most people can see it. But the intervention in there has been horrible. Even on the most conservative estimates, it costs $2.3 trillion, okay? And that's excluding what all the other allies spend and excluding what the US spent in places like Pakistan. So that's, and it's probably more like five to seven trillion, but at 2.3 trillion, that's equivalent of 100 times. So that's 100 times an Afghan, an Afghani's per capita income in a year, a hundred times the annual income per capita. And so can you think you could have made more peace if you'd just given everyone 10 times the per capita income? Of course, that's my theory. <laughs> but the other thing, the other thing too, is it shows it doesn't matter how much money you throw at development, if it's not done right, it's not gonna work. Yep. Wow, you know, we're not all the Gandhis of the world or the Tolstoys, but we want to make a difference. And so do you have our lives are limited by choices and sometimes by location? You know, there's not much people in Afghanistan can do to hope for peace, but I'm praying for them. Can you elaborate or describe how we could achieve more peaceful lives in societies and communities or at the individual level? Because we're the privileged. We can we have peace in our way. I have to always honor the peace that is before I start to create the peace that can be. The peace that is, think about that. And we have this privilege because we have so much, we need to do more. So how do we begin? How do we get people involved? 
Well, look, I think peace in many ways, it's, it can be little acts. You don't, so it's like you go and get your coffee in the morning and you walk into the shop, smile at the person behind the counter, make a simple comment. Sort of everyone goes in and gets gruff at them. They're going to walk home with a sourly mood and it's going to spill over into other people. If you're feeling good, okay, you're likely just to give up better, just vibes if you like for want of a better word. Sort of with your family, if you're interacting with your family, just try and sort of have a little bit of understanding from where they're coming from. Uh, uh, when you feel your emotions, so you're, you're getting angry, uh, just stop and think, well, I won't act on it, just wait. That's the old saying, count to 10 before acting like so old. But it's just getting a better understanding of your own emotionality. Certainly when one's angry, they reckon only about 10% of what you're perceiving is accurate. The rest is just a projection of the emotion. And for myself, I think that's probably pretty true. If it is for me, then it probably is for a whole lot of other people. So there's all sorts of things you can do like that. Getting, get, if you've got a bit of time, get engaged at the uh, local community. I just noticed this place crop up in my local uh, community here at Newport, and it's sort of a... Uh, acts of kindness and they've, what they've got is a shop there it's not getting leased the owner's given it to them till they get a lease and then people are just donating food which are then giving to the needy so go in and do a couple of hours volunteer work the whole thing amazing 80 people and it's all a volunteer work so go in and do a bit of volunteer work open the heart up find of course, you like. You don't have to give much money, but if you've got some free cash, you just give, give, give some money. If you're a reasonably well off, five percent of your income, not a lot. You can find some really meaningful things to put some money into to make the world better. There's all sorts of little things like that. Getting involved on the global stage, but that's much, much more difficult. Much more difficult. Being always in. Get engaged in politics, try and bring peace into some politics. Now, that would be interesting, but it's something you could do also. It's, so there's many, many avenues, many, many avenues. But the idea is just to, it, like for me, I guess one of the lessons from my life, it's a journey. And so you start doing something and then it unfolds in front of you. And so if you want to get involved in peace in some sort of way, so do something just small and you'll find things will unfold in front of you. And then you just follow your natural desire and where sort of the uh, your life's giving you the opportunity to be active. It's so interesting because that is fabulous advice. It's right to the point. It begins with each of us. And I can tell you so many stories and you can tell me stories. But when you said that word stop, it's like you read my book. I read, I wrote the book, Revolutionary Conversations. How do you have a conversation in the chaos of this world today for the success you want and the peace you want in your life? It starts with the word stop. And when you said when somebody's angry at you, just stop. Just like you stop at a stop sign before you go forward, you make sure it's safe. And the same thing in a conversation, be sure it's safe. Maybe you don't get to say anything, this person's so angry. So you stop and it's S-H-A-R-E is the formula in my book. Stop, help, I need a little help. I hear you say this, help me and may I ask you a question, S-H-A-R, and then you risk and say, I heard you, but what about this idea? Would you consider it? And then you explore. Well, that allows you to have a, a way to not react, 
to not get yourself emotionally tied into defending your position because we haven't walked in their path. That was one of the things I said yesterday at this Path to Peace Darvis 32nd Annual Conference. I was one of the keynote speakers and I said, we all have walked different paths. We don't know what that person that is standing next to us who is so unhappy, so miserable and so angry that we don't know the path they've been on. We don't know where they've just been. And so it's up to us to be the peace sometimes that another person may need. And I think you said that, Steve. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. Now, I'm going to go right to your book again. Imagine a book being called Peace in this. I'm going to tell you exactly what his book is called because I wrote it down so I wouldn't get it wrong. Peace in the Age of Chaos. Chaos. The best solutions for a sustainable future. Now, you can't get any better than that, Steve. So, no, tell me about what was the biggest lesson or discovery you made while writing this book. Well, I guess I've covered it in some ways. Probably the biggest discovery is how we did, how little we actually knew about peace. I guess that's probably the uh, uh, probably the biggest discovery for me. But if we look at the measurements of peace as uh, they've changed over time, we've been doing it about 15, 15 years now. So if we look at it over that period, more countries have improved in peace than countries have deteriorated. However, however actual global peace has deteriorated by about 2%. Now, what happens is when countries drop in peace, they drop much faster than the rate at which they improve. And so I guess the lesson from that, there's a lot of positives there. We tend to only focus on the negatives. And I guess the other one, which is quite profound, is that there's this growing global inequality in peace. The most peaceful countries are becoming more peaceful while the least peaceful countries are becoming less peaceful. And so I think that's another thing as well. And sort of once you become highly peaceful, it's very hard to fall. Not in the whole time we've been doing it, 15 years, none of the high peace countries have really fallen substantially. And then when you're a low peace country and you're in the conflict trap, very, very hard to get out of it. What a beautiful answer. And you learned when you started writing your book that you don't know a lot about peace. You, Dr. Steve Kilalea, who has worked your life bringing peace to so many countries and traveled the world. And yet, you know, peace is kind of that illusion that we want and we understand from our own personal point of view. Now, let me ask you, because you have lived a life of a relative um, importance. Let's just put it like that. What's your action or your advice for anyone listening today? Maybe they're a young person and they want to follow in your footsteps, that they want to become the surfer or they want to become the IT expert. What would you advise people today to do? And you gave me so many examples. So just summarize, sure. if you were to start over, what would you do? So advice I'd give to people is look, what you want to do is the things you really enjoy doing. And quite often the things we pick, which we enjoy, the things we're actually good at, where we've got our best skill levels. And now you've got a virtuous cycle going because you're doing something you love, and you've got good skills out, therefore you put a lot more energy in it to it than other people. And at some point, you're going to realise you're really good. But it's only sometime later, it can be years, that other people can really see it. And then when other people can see it, monetary results, reward comes, but that's well after you get the recognition for what you're doing. A lot of people in life 
think that, oh, gee, what I want to do is go out and make a whole lot of money. If I make a whole lot of money, uh, uh, people will then uh, recognise me and then I'll feel good about myself. But it actually works in the reverse. So look, if you can, yeah, follow the follow your heart with the things that you really really like doing, and obviously you've got to be smart about it. Uh, but generally, that's the way to success. I love that. It's not about creating that pot of money. It's about taking your passion and making it happen, and, and because that passion will prolong your work on it. Sometimes it's hard work to do what you're doing, Steve. Right. Oh, yeah, no, okay, I'm still working sort of 60, 70 hours a week. But I love it. See, did you hear that? He's working 67, but it's not work to Steve. It's something that he knows that he can do. He's found his passion, and, and, and it keeps him sustained for 60, 70 hours a week. Thank you, Steve. Thank you for working so hard for peace. Thank you for writing the book. You know, peace is a huge huge goal of mine and i was sharing with you earlier how peace really can make a difference on our planet and i thank you with all my heart for measuring where we are today for giving us the hope that we can all have more peace is there anything you'd like to end with today i'd like to give you the last word as we finish our podcast with gratitude yeah i think we'll look we've covered a lot uh, but i think sort of the uh if you look at the major challenges facing humanity today, they're global in nature. They're things like climate change and increasing biodiversity, full use of the fresh water on the planet. But underpinning all of them is actually overpopulation. But unless we have a world which is basically peaceful, we'll never get the levels of trust and inclusiveness necessary to solve these problems. Therefore, peace is prerequisite the survival of society as we know it in the 21st century. And that is different than any other epoch in human history. In the past, peace may have been the domain of the altruistic, but in the 21st century, it's literally in everyone's self-interest. Okay, I'm going to give you a challenge. We have honoured the war makers. We have honoured the, the war fighters. Why don't we honour the peacemakers, Steve? I'm going to ask you to help me. I want to have a monument to the unknown peacemakers, period. How can we do that? This just came to me as I'm looking at you. Well, look, I think that'd be great. Uh, yeah, yeah, start to lobby Congress in the US to uh, put a yeah. statue up on Capitol Hill for the great peacemakers. But one of the things I would say is the people we remember through history uh, as the greatest souls, well, they were all peaceful. They were all peaceful. Like you could look at Buddha, you could look at Christ, uh, Mahatma Gandhi, uh, yeah, and uh, Socrates, the ones we admire the most and put out our highest pet pedestals quite often are the people of peace, or the ones who invent the structures which lead to peace. You know, think of the great uh, yeah, 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 Scottish philosophers uh, yeah, yeah, of the uh, yeah, 17th century. Uh, on it goes, on it goes. So I think in many ways it's there, it's there. And if you look at it, the Nobel Peace Prize is considered the most prestigious prize in the world. The Nobel Peace Prize. Well, I think you deserve it from what you've said today. God bless you. You know, you're listening to Peace Podcast, and I'm Barbara Gonmuller, and I am just asking you to do me a big favor. 
gather three people up or two or one, whatever, get one more person. And I want you to watch this podcast and listen to Dr. Steve Kilalea. Then I want you to have a conversation, a conversation that will help you understand that peace is possible. And then what you do does make a difference. I remember visiting Mother Teresa and I remember reading about her as I was flying home on the airplane. And she said, I think we forgot to take care of each other. I think that's our problem. And you look at Dr. Steve Kilalea, he hasn't forgotten to take care of others. And with that, I'm gonna say thank you for listening. Join us on our new app. We have an app, it's an inspirational app. It's free and all 81 podcasts are classified so you can enjoy them in your car. Now you don't have to look for them, just go on the app and listen to them in your car, listen to them while you're doing the dishes. Let that inspiration sink into you. You become the peace our world needs. This is Barbara Gahn-Mueller thanking you for joining us. Thanks again, Steve. Hey, thanks, bye. Fabulous, fabulous, thank you.